Monday, Tuesday, whatever day of the week that you are tuning into this episode. For those that are new here, make sure that you go and hit subscribe on the podcast app so you can be notified when my next episode is live. Now, last week, I mentioned that I wanted to make sure that I was giving you guys as much take-homes and value in these episodes as I possibly can. So before we dive into today's chat with an incredibly talented and beautiful guest, I want to share with you a lesson that I've learned this past week. I was reminded of a quote, if it's not challenging you, it's not changing you. See, challenges are often associated with being hard or difficult and cultivating a sense of overwhelm or us being triggered with a stress or anxious response. But change is good. Change is new. Change is growth and expansion. We are humans. We are supposed to evolve. How can we grow if we aren't moving through the growing pains or being put in situations where we are forced to learn? I hope that brings you some value this morning and I have expanded on this in a recent blog post so you'll find a bit more info there. If you want to, you can click the link in the show notes and it will take you to that blog post. Okay, so today's episode, it's a goodie if I do say so myself. Joining me on the mic today is Olivia White. You might also know her as at House of White on Instagram. She is a creative entrepreneur, mother, speaker, and live empowers and encourages women to live boldly and unapologetically their best life. She is a woman with passion, purpose, and drive to deliver to her community on Instagram, nothing but love and light. In today's chat, we talk all things motherhood. Liv shares how she is encouraging self-love with her daughters and igniting them to live authentically as themselves. We discuss Liv's motherhood season where she vulnerably shares her birth story and how this impacts impacted her mental health five years on. We also dive into social media influencing, online trolling, and why Liv is taking ownership of her life by showing up to her community without any apologies. If you enjoy today's episode, please take the time to leave a quick review on the podcast app. This will help me reach more women who need to hear these conversations like this one to feel supported and less alone. Please also spread the word by sharing to your Instagram stories and do not forget to tag at Inside Out with Chris. I hope you enjoy this episode. Olivia, thank you so much for joining me today and putting aside some time and energy. I am wrapped to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. (laughs) We just had a little technical difficulties at the start, but we're here now. (laughs) For those that don't know you, don't know what you're all about, can you give us a little snapshot into you and your life and what has brought you here? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess for, you know, everyone out there listening and um, what what I essentially do online, um, I probably always say that I'm sort of like a parenting, you know, motherhood lifestyle, um, you know, female empowerment, all that kind of stuff. Um, but basically, yeah, started this gig seven years ago, completely unintentional, um, started sharing our life, started sharing my journey of motherhood and my own, uh, my own personal journey, you know, um, finding myself, you know, um, you know, my, my journey and struggles through like, you know, pregnancy and birth and motherhood and, you know, body image, all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, I guess that's brought me to where I am today, where I've been able to make a, full-time job out of what I do and what I love. Yeah, I definitely think that one of the biggest things that drew me to your Instagram is how authentically and unapologetically you live your life and you've always showed up online. You advocate for self-love and body positivity. And obviously I've always really admired that about you. 
but this is something that I'm personally working on and I'm doing this through having these accounts like your own in my life because you wake up and these screens are in front of you every day and these women like yourself, you know, I feel like we're friends. I feel like I know you. I feel like I, you know, have parts of you now reflecting in me and how I feel about myself because of the way that you show up online. It's something that I didn't have as a kid, like the tools. Like I I wasn't taught to love myself. I feel like it needs to be in the bloody school curriculum. But yeah, because as young girls, I, I didn't love myself. Have you always had this confidence and this self-love? Um, look, yes and no. Um, you know, for me, I, I count my blessings every day because I was I was raised by my mom. So I was raised by a single mom. She was an incredibly strong, confident woman or is. <laughs> Mom's still here. <laughs> um, and also my grandparents and my, my grandmother, who was a, also a massive influence on me as well. Again, an incredibly strong, powerful woman. Um, Both my grandmother and my mom um, come from um, a union background. So pretty much both their entire lives. Um, They worked, but they also worked within the trade unions um, in, you know, which um, industries that they were in. And so they've always really been these strong people that had like really strong passionate values and morals they were you know they're the most wonderful feminists like so I really had that influence from a young age um and I think from the confidence point of view a lot of that is where that that came from and I think there was obviously that flow on to um you know my own relationship with myself and and my body um, you know, and neither of them were ever uh, the kind of people that, you know, uh, picked on themselves, you know, judged themselves. They were always very confident in what they wore and how they, how they held themselves. Um, but it doesn't make you immune to, you know, other factors as well and the external factors that you have around you. Because, you know, while I had these two incredible women in my life, of course, you know, you go to school and you're influenced by what's on the TV and what's in the media. And for me, it was probably later down the line, you know, getting into my teens and stuff where, you know, you really start to let those factors impact on you. Um, I mean, from the standpoint of like, you know, like my relationship with food and everything like that, you know, I I feel like, um, you know, my mom, my grandparents, you know, they're from a European background. Um, And so, you know, we ate. (laughs) Yeah. And we love food, um, you know, and that's that's something that I've always had with me. But like I said, you get into those those teen years and stuff and then you start to get those influences and these ideas in your head and this ideal of what you're supposed to look like and um, especially becoming a mum quite young. So, um, you know, obviously when you become pregnant and your body changes and I was one of the first people, you know, out of my friends to have a baby, none of my um we, I don't have any cousins or anything like that because I only know my mum's side of the family and stuff like that. I have no siblings. So um, it's almost like I went in like completely unprepared, right? And that was really um, where it sort of really started to hit me in my early 20s, struggling with all these body changes and stuff like that. Um, and then, of course, I, I went on to have girls like yourself um, and I, and I realized, you know, very quickly, you know, how important it was for me to start doing the work then and there to, you know, overcome, you know, these anxieties and stuff that were being caused by this relationship with my body and these changes to my body. Um, but, you know, it, it's never, I get, I think, a, 
an end point. It's like, it's always a continuous thing, you know, because like I said, you've always got these influences, whether it be online on social media um, or all around you, you can find them anywhere. Um, So it's a constant ongoing thing. Yeah. Something that you just touched on Um, on with the whole social media thing, like my, two older girls and they're my stepdaughters Raquel's 10 Lexi's nine um totally different body shapes totally different personalities two different kids um but they are on their screens all the time and something that I've picked up on the last couple of years is how much that is impacting how they see themselves and one like Lexi went to a, a couple of months ago I hadn't we now have this morning ritual where I force her to say I am brave I am strong like these affirmations to herself in the mirror because she was getting up and going to the mirror and saying I hate my teeth I hate the freckles on my nose I hate these things about myself and I'm like what do you mean you're cute you're beautiful like, what's wrong with you and she's like you have to say that you're my stepmom and I'm like well no, but you are. And it was like so conflicting because whilst I want to remove all that social media shit from being filled in their heads, well, it's the world they live in now and all their friends do it and they're so exposed to it. How are you instilling self-love to your daughters? Yeah. Um, like you were just sort of saying there, you know, it's so, you know, the, the things that we pick on, right, because we are our own worst critics, right? Mm. But then how I look at it is like, okay, where are we getting this from? Where are we getting this ideal from? And you only have to look at everything around us. You know, it's not just social media and we're being sold all these things, you know, whether it be teeth whitening or aligners, like, you know, talking about teeth and stuff like that. Um, there's so many things out there and, you know, we live in such a, um, you know, you know, consumer-driven society, right? Where, like, we'll just keep on coming up with things that you can make better and fix, right? Because it makes money, but then it creates this ideal in people's heads um, of like what you're supposed to, to to look like. And so, I think for me is, um, you know, I personally try to be really self-aware of these things, mm. um, and not to say that like, you know, I've I've had my teeth straightened because uh, they moved after pregnancy. Um, And we all do things. We color our hair. We do this. And it's like, well, you know, people get plastic surgery. It's like, where do we, where do we draw that line? I think it's about being really self-aware of like why we think these things, why we want to change things, why we want to, you know, invest in these things. Mm. And then obviously having those conversations with, with my daughters, you know, Mm. and Look, I'm a little bit, um, it's funny because I think while I'm very much a sort of like, oh, you know, um, anything goes kind of parent, but at the same time, like I'm very much like when it comes to like age appropriate clothing and stuff like that, it's not because I'm trying to, you know, be like the uncool mum or anything like that. But, um, you know, it's more about just like, you know, letting kids be kids and not, you know, being careful about what I do and how I speak about myself and, how I approach things Mm. um, and then having that conversation with them, you know, of why or or how, and, you know, like also said, you know, talking about positive affirmations and stuff and focusing on non-physical things with them, Mm. you know, about their, their, their talents and their likes and their, you know, their creativity, um, their strength, you know, both physically and emotionally Um, rather than telling kids, I think it's super important to show kids like, my husband and I have really in the last couple of years taken a massive step towards working on our own health, be it physical, mental. Um, you know, we see coaches, you know, we, we see a relationship coach, not because anything's wrong, mm. but because it's that acknowledgement that 
um, it's always a journey. You can always keep learning and you can always, you know, keep on sort of like working on yourself in all different ways. Mm. And by doing that, I think it shows our kids that, you know, it's okay to not have all the answers or not always feel great, but have the tools to work through it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me with the two girls, see, it's hard because I, I suppose that in our blended family, they they look at me as a second mum. So they've almost got two mums and two very different women, two very different walks of life yeah. um, and with different values and morals and things like that. And they have these two women as their influences, their primary influences and their drivers, I suppose, to what they're going to do later in life. And so when they're asking me questions, whether it be about period sex, you know, having babies, like they didn't know how a baby was born until my second child. My first child, they just thought that it got chopped out of my tummy and that was that and there was no scar and my tummy still looked the same and life went on. And now they've obviously Googled it and they've figured it out. But like these conversations with them that I'm having, including, you know, I've now born and got Botox today and I have you know it's a conversation that's going to come up because they're going to be like you look different like tell me what's going on sort of thing how good is Botox though <laughs> I know I haven't had it for years I was so excited <laughs> um but like I and I want to get breast like breast implants or a lift or something and so they'll know about all these things going on and I'm really at a bit of a point where I'm like well I refuse to lie to them I will be honest with them but I don't want them to think that to be beautiful they have to change yeah. So I really am like tiptoeing around on how to have that conversation. But I think that what you said, just being completely honest and yeah, showing, showing your children that you're always working on yourself as well to expand and grow is a really, really healthy relationship to have with them too. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right about, you know, treading that line um, between, you know, uh, I think, like you said, you've got to be honest about these things, right? Because we look at, things differently you know you talk about um wearing makeup or um you know like I said coloring your hair and stuff and we we sort of put that at the lower end of the spectrum right that's just normal it's just like whatever but then you go into things like plastic surgery and um you know changing the you know the actual structure of your body I guess um how do you have that conversation and it's something that I constantly think of um you know we've all got things that um, we, we don't like, or that, that we would change. And that's normal. You know, I don't think that, um, positive body image and all that kind of stuff is necessarily where well, you've got to love it exactly how it is and be happy with it all the time. It's just not like that. Just like your emotions, you're not happy all the time. That's not normal, mm. you know, because if you're happy all the time, then how do you know how happy you are? Cause you don't experience different, different emotions and different spectrums. Yep. And, um, you know, a, a thing for me since going to the gym and really working on my health and fitness, um, I've lost heaps of volume in my boobs. I've always had big boobs, but I've lost lots of volume in my boobs because you can't target weight loss. No. It's not just someone will sell you a plan that does, it can't. And, and so, of course, I've breastfed two children. So, like, I just don't have that um, that volume and also that elasticity in my boobs now. So, like, of course, as I get fitter, and stronger, well, my boobs get smaller. Do you know what I mean? So it's like a negative side effect, side effect to something positive that I'm doing. And I had seizures. And so where the scar is now, that little pudgy bit that I've got is becoming more and more obvious as my body composition changes. And I've definitely thought, okay, what can I do? You know, can I, you know, maybe get lipo or maybe I'll get a lift or stuff like that. But they're things for me. They're not things that 
I want to do because I feel like I have to look a certain way or I feel like, um, you know, it's, you know, for my partner or for anyone else, they're personal things for me because I've worked really hard because I've been working on myself and I've put in, you know, the, the effort. And I think that's how you've got to approach these conversations, right? Like even something like Botox you're talking about. Well, it just looks better. Like when you wear makeup and stuff yes. like that. Makeup looks nicer. Like makeup looks nicer. And that's a thing for you. Like that's, you know what? I could literally go to my husband and be like this, right? Because I've got it in the moment. And I'd be like, do you notice anything different? And he'd be like, I don't know, you look like a freak. <laughs> like, because you're looking at me weird. He would have no idea it was because of this. Yeah. And um, that that's where I think the difference is, 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 expl- is you know, explaining to your children that, you know, that that it's not about looking a certain way because someone else wants you to or having pressure put on you. It's yeah. wanting to invest in yourself because you should be able to do that as well. And I think too, giving your kids the tools as children, give them as much education and information and give them all the right tools. So later in life, when they want to make these big decisions like we are, they're making yeah choices and they're doing it from a place of reflecting and saying I'm doing this for nobody else but myself I'm not doing this for society standards I'm not doing this for my boyfriend's expectations because he wants big boobs like I don't I have had so many friends get their boobs done and have had them removed like in the last 10 years because they got them when they were 21 or 18 for their boyfriend because their boyfriend like the amount of people that's why personally I would never get implants because the amount of people I know that have had them removed this is that whole thing you're talking about about making informed decisions giving your kids the tools right that when they want to make any decision in life that they're able to think critically like you give them the you know it's really those foundation things in these primary years that are so important because like you said you didn't get that when you were younger and then you've got to do the work as an adult and when you have to do the work as an adult you have to undo Mm. everything that you were taught so it's not like you're teaching from scratch in these fresh little brains that are just like growing at the rate of knots that's already there that framework's already there and so you've got to like rewire it and that's so much harder to do it is yeah Um, onion you just got to you know peel off those layers but every time there's a layer you feel like crying like it's just there's so much work there as adults if we weren't given those tools you know yeah and we didn't know this 20 years ago like I feel like we are very fortunate to live in in that in a day and age where we have access to so much information but also you and I talking today just reminds me of how how beautiful it is to have access to so many stories Mm. through social media like the power of social media your podcast like I listen to it all the time and just listening to other people's experiences and stories. And we are, you know, a generation of people that are probably, you know, undoing and rewiring a lot. But now because we have access to so much information and so many stories, we got it. We got a good chance with this generation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And speaking of stories, I do want to um, shift a little bit the conversation to your motherhood experience, because I know that you mentioned just now that you did become a mum a little earlier than everybody else. And we go through so many identity shifts and relationship changes and all these things that happen around falling pregnant and becoming a mum. It's not that simple anymore. There's a lot of shit in there that we've got to unpack once we've had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like talk to me about your journey through motherhood. 
Yeah, look, I mean, that was definitely one of the things for me that perhaps, you know, we didn't get the the tools and the education on younger because we just, you know, we don't. It's like you think of all the, the stuff you learn as a kid and even in school and, you know, now our generations are learning about things like consent and, you know, we never learned about those things. No, no. We and, you know, I think that um, motherhood, again, you know, no matter what time in life you become a mother, no matter how much you prepare, no matter how many books you read, um, how many stories you have access to, everyone's journey and story is always different. Mm. And like we were talking about, you know, giving people the tools to, um, you know, work on things later in life, I think this is another one of those things because the biggest thing for me with um, falling pregnant and becoming a mum was expectation. Mm. and an expectation that things are going to be a certain way, an expectation that things look a certain way, an expectation that, you know, um, it's going to, you know, it's going to go this, that or the other, and it's just not like that at all. And had I have had a better ability to let go of expectation and that control and be better at, you know, allowing things to just be, perhaps my experience would have been a bit easier like I I um I had a really hard pregnancy I was sick I I hated it it was the worst I didn't have that beautiful experience that people have um I had a really traumatic birth um that it wasn't until five years later when a whole bunch of stuff came up for me that I finally went to see somebody and realized I had all this trauma and a bunch of shit I'd suppressed so um yeah it was actually really interesting for me when my eldest daughter went to school um I in the first I guess six months of having six months to a year of having a um I was diagnosed with um postnatal anxiety and so I knew that but when she went to school I really struggled with her going to school it was like I would cry in my car every day I hated the thought of her going there I just wanted her to be with me um and it got to the point where people were like oh it was a bit like, like, yeah, it's hard when your kid goes to school, but like maybe perhaps go and talk to someone. So I ended up going to see a psychologist and pretty much within that first session came to realise that I uh, was suppressing so much from her birth and her birth trauma because I had a really traumatic birth, was in labour for three days and ended up having her in an emergency Caesar. Oh. Um, there was all these memories of things that I had completely forgotten, like completely suppressed. Um, I was in the hospital on day one. And she was in the nursery because I, my recovery was really bad. I, I had her at two o'clock in the morning. I'd been awake for three days. I was full of hormones. I was full of painkillers and I was insisting I wanted to see her. And then I was accusing them of like stealing her and not letting me see her. But it was because I was like so out of it. Um, and I ended up trying to get up and leave and they sedated me <laughs> and I was knocked out for like an entire day. And I actually didn't remember that until I spoke to someone five years later. I had blocked that out of my mind. I'd forgotten. Like, literally, I must have suppressed it. And, yeah, like, I'm talking, like, psych ward styles, like, being held down and they sedated me because I was accusing them of stealing my baby. But like, that's, firstly, that's fucked up. Um, but that, that they did that to you. That was their first choice of control like you're not a huge human being you wouldn't have taken much to just pin down for a second and mm-hmm. sure they could have, like there's processes that could have avoided that trauma yeah. 
I'm so sorry that that happened to you because that just sounds absolutely devastating. Where was hubby in this, uh, when this was all going on? Was he in the room? Was he not there? Um, so he was outside, like, so I think he had gone out to the, like, around to the nursery and was like, oh, she's really struggling, like, she wants to see her, blah, blah, blah. And that's when, like, the midwives and and um, and that and the nurses came in and stuff and tried to explain to me that I that couldn't, I needed to, to rest, I needed to sleep. Um, I still actually had, you know how you have the compression stockings? Well, I had, like, one up from that. It was like a machine that massage my legs to stop me from getting clots and stuff um so like I physically couldn't actually get up like if I tried I had these machines on my legs so it wouldn't have worked anyway but um like for me that's just common sense just bring the mother the child and fix the problem yeah so I mean (laughs) now that I think back I'm like oh okay yeah that was that was fucked um but it what it was triggering in with me was this her being like I saw her going to school being her taken away from me when I didn't want her to be so that's that's what that was triggering for me um so that took me a while to work on do you know what I mean to to really sort of like uh work on what that was how that was making me feel and what that was triggering and stuff and I carried that for five years I carried that for you know the the whole time um up until she went to school and so when I had Ted I, of course, elected for uh, Caesar uh, because I'd already had an emergency one, but it came down to the fact that I wanted to have control because I didn't have that in my first birth. Like they let me go for two days with the gel and then they put me on the drip and the drip didn't work for 12 hours. But at no point did anyone ever explain to me my options. Like they just kept on doing things. And here I was, this poor, like, 23-year-old with no idea what my rights were or what I could have asked for and stuff. Um, And no one was willing to stop and say, okay, like, this is what's happening and this is what we can do and what would you like to do? People just kept making decisions for me. I'm sorry that that was your experience for your daughter. Like, that that sounds... Now, in hindsight, it's a, a, an interesting thing because you're here and you can reflect and you can see how much wrong was going on back then and, you know, you've already been through it and the worst is over. I, I understand that side of things, but mm-hmm. I definitely resonate with the lack of control. I Jesse, my son, who I had first, he was six days overdue and it was three days before Christmas and I said, I have two other girls in my life. I cannot have a child on Christmas Day but no one would induce me. And they're like, you just have to wing it. So luckily he wasn't born, but that complete lack of control at that point, I'm like, I need someone to get this kid out of me. I'm not going to ruin everyone's Christmas for the rest of our lives um, (laughs) compared to your experience whatsoever. But, you know, then I got, I elected to be induced with Lola because I wanted full control. I wanted to know the girls were at their mums. I wouldn't go into labour at home and they wouldn't see me in pain because they'd freak out. And I just needed that control surrounding that labour. And it was definitely the best decision that I made. So how did it go the second time around? Did you have anything coming up in that birth? Um, it's funny that you say that because I know exactly what you mean when you say to another baby on Christmas Day because Teddy was actually, her due date was um, the 29th of Feb because it was a leap year. And I was like, I am not having her on the 29th. Now it doesn't seem like such a big deal, but when you're heavily pregnant, you're like, I am not having her on the 29th. Um, look, it was a bit of a struggle because the obstetrician that I had, as much as I love her, um, she kept on trying to tell me I could have a VBAC. And she wasn't my obstetrician the first pregnancy, so she didn't know um, the comp- like. 
I guess, understand the complications that I had. So it was annoying that all through my pregnancy, she would be like, you sure you don't try for a VBAC? I'm like, just book me in, God damn it. Um, And so that was a bit of a nightmare. But in the end, I ended up having Ted at 37 weeks because a growth scan showed that she'd stopped growing. My placenta had basically dislodged. Um, so went in on the Tuesday, they said, nah, she's stopped growing. So next day I, I went in to have her and I had her at 37 weeks. And when I went in, it was like eight o'clock, but 8.20, I had a baby. Like it was just, I remember people in the room. And of course you have to have that, those people in the room when they're doing it, but they're just look like they were just talking about what they did on the weekend. Like everyone was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as for the first time I had people <laughs> left, right and center, like yeah. people freaking out people like you know asking me all these questions and then she got whisked away meanwhile you know Ted just came out and everyone's like oh I've got a midwife taking photos like everyone's just having a jolly old time although my obstetrician did say when she pulled her out she's like oh yeah no your babies don't fit like because that's why I had to have the Caesar with Annabelle was because my pelvis was tilted and she couldn't okay yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I told you this whole time. Like, did you not read my file? Like, they ain't coming out naturally. But, um, yeah, no, it was great. Like, got up and walked within six or seven hours and I went home the next day. I hate hospitals. Yeah, amazing. I so was like, oh, you should stay for a few nights. I was like, nah, I'm going by. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's more comfortable at home. It's definitely more comfortable at home. I hesitated um, coming home with Lola because I knew that I was coming home to two very excited little girls and one very non no way of understanding what was going on two-year-old and that was just like I can't I just can't deal with it I just need a night with my baby (laughs) absolutely I think mine was a combination of um we don't live that far from the hospital um my mother-in-law was actually a midwife so she was a midwife for me the whole way through and she was incredible so glad I had her um so I I had help like I had access to you know, and I only had Annabelle at home. Um, but also I think because, you know, my previous experience with Annabelle, I'm like, I just hate this place. <laughs> this is, I'm unsafest here because they can hold on to my child and not show me my child. So. Yeah. I want, I just don't understand how that could happen. I don't know if that would even happen now. Like, I feel like we've evolved so much as a society in terms of but like a mother's rights, especially in, in hospital. And there's a, like in the hospital up here in Newcastle, um, up at the John, the midwife environment there, there was a couple of older midwives that were quite old school, but I know a lot of the younger ones and they're all about, you know, these these better better oh. ways and all about the mum and things like that. So I don't, I, I don't know. The midwives are. The problem with our hospital was they've only just in the last couple of years moved to a midwife-led program as where it was very old school for a very long time like the OBGYN that was overseeing me with Annabelle he didn't even come in but he would like the OBGYN that was there that night still had to ask him and they were very very anti-Caesar like their numbers were very low but I've also heard some horror stories (laughs) since then um so it's great that it's moved to a more midwife focused program I think so and it's interesting what you've just touched on there how how sometimes our experiences in parenting how these things come up and how often you know families and women in these in our families are noticing and reflecting the stuff that we've suppressed and smushed all the way down and then we it something happens and it just goes ding and it just sets it all off and unravels it through yeah. um, my pregnancy with Lola the entire time I 
have seen a psychologist about this um, and my kinesiologist as well. And, and my number one thing was I was waiting for the shoe to drop. I said, I can't, my life can't be this good. I can't have two healthy children. My pre- like something's going to go wrong in this pregnancy so, or something's going to go wrong in birth. And I had, I was waiting for that to happen. So yeah. like I was ready for it. Like just preparing my body and my mind to be like, okay, I'm still going to be a mom. I'm still going to have to do all these things, but I was preparing for that. And I had, you've just reminded me of this in this chat. I'd completely suppressed that until the other morning we live on quite a busy road and we've got a chain lock on the door and the chain lock wasn't put on when someone left and I couldn't find Jesse. And I'm, I ran out the front and I'm screaming his name at the top of my lungs and black ladies was walking down the street and they're like looking for this two-year-old and yeah, like he was in, it was inside hiding. He was hiding from his sisters in the cupboard. But <laughs> in that moment, I remember thinking the shoes dropped. Okay. Yeah. Is the- <laughs> I do that, mate. I do that all the time. It's like, Uh, What did someone tell me once that, you know, that fight or flight response we get, like, you know, that anxiety response we get, that's designed for like a bear chasing us. Like that's designed for like real life or death, right? But it still, we we live in this, you know, we live in, um, you know, you know, first world country, you know, we're very blessed. We're very privileged. We have, you know, a lot of opportunity and access to a lot, but it just sits there dormant. So we'll fucking apply it to anything. Like, and then you become a mom and it's just like, I do the same. Yeah. But we don't have a fence around our property. We have a big um, regional property with a couple of acres, but we live on a you know a fast road as well. Sometimes if I can't find a kid, I'm like, first thing I do is get the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I came in, my husband's like, wouldn't you think to check the house before you ran out the front screaming? I was like, well, I did. I checked really quickly and then I ran out the front when I saw the chain wasn't on the door and he's like, dude, he was in that house. Chill. But yeah, it's just, I think it's that mum that it's, a fear that we've just got ingrained to our souls almost like you you want to protect your kids from everything forever and you hear and read and see all these horrible stories and you pray to god that that's not you one day and i guess when that shoe when you feel like the shoe has dropped you just feel like okay this is now this is my turn almost yep 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 move on turn some not so heavy shit (laughs) i know I think a lot of mums out there would relate to that though. Like sometimes I think it's actually nice to know that you, you know, that is, well, it's not like, I wouldn't say that it's like normal, but I think it's a normal thing to think and to feel. Um, Is this, you know, it goes back to that whole thing we were talking about even earlier in the conversation um, is building those tools and those, you know, coping mechanisms and stuff like that, because yeah, it's like, what do you do with it? How do you manage it? You know? Totally. Crazy. So for, I know that you have a lot of mums following you online and your journey online. Any tips for some new mums that are jumping over and following your journey that are coming into that new season of motherhood that might be pregnant or? Yeah. Look, I've been asked this question a few times and it's funny because I feel like now I've sort of realized what my actual answer is. And it's very simple is that just don't expect anything. Don't have any expectation don't, you know, don't compare yourself, you know, the, the answer is, is that there is no answers, you know, um, like everything, you know, we'll, we'll sell anything to people. You can, even now my kids are five and seven and I look at some of the things that you have available to you as a parent. Right. Um, and that's great because, you know, anything that can, that can help you even just get five minutes to yourself, um, is awesome. But also, you know, you're going to come up against challenges and you're going to come up against all different challenges, no matter how many children you have. And each and every time you go through it, it's like you hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, what worked might not work for someone else. And 
it goes back to what I said earlier about having access to stories is, is that you'll always find your answers somewhere different because the answers that you've got will never be the consistent answers ongoing. Yeah. So, you know, um, you might have a good pregnancy, you might have a shit pregnancy, mm. you know, um, I know, you know, uh, my good friend Britt as well, who's just had her third and I've been through her pregnancies with her each and every single time. And, you know, she knows that she gets sick and she knows that she gets HG and it never gets any fucking easier each time. In fact, I think this time, you know, it was her third kid and she knew exactly going in. It was probably the hardest. I felt like, well, it was hardest for me because I couldn't see her this time. Coronavirus. Have you been getting met? It's Van, isn't it? Yes, and no, I haven't. So I had four attempts to go see her while she was pregnant and each and every time somewhere would get locked down and I'd have to reschedule my flights. And then she had him during the school holidays, but, like, obviously not great to go see her straight away. And now, like, I've just had so much on in the last couple of weeks. So we're just trying to find that time because she used to live in a much bigger house so I could go stay with her and now... And it's so hard to find accommodation in bar and like I feel like the world is against us. But we do still talk every day. So yeah, I bet, but FaceTime, yeah. So you've met him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She actually said to me the other day, um, because I was joking about, oh, he doesn't know who I am. And she's like, Oh, trust me, he knows your booming voice from being on loudspeaker the whole time I was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> um I just interviewed Nadine Muller actually and talking. Yeah. And I learned so much from her about it because I have a really close girlfriend of mine who has had the same experience and um, she's been really, really unwell, I think as bad as Brit sort of thing. And yeah, yeah. Brit's been out of control. And the funny thing with her is because is she's so used to it, but it's also so shit. Like I'd be on the phone to her and she sounds normal until she's throwing up. Like, you know, so it's one of those things. So she just tries to get on with her life and then she's like, hang on. Bleh. Oh, and she's like, and then like you know she'll FaceTime me I'm like you look like shit she's like thanks I feel like shit I'm like I don't know how you do it mate I would get nauseous and I hated my life but you know it it just goes to show right that every single experience is different and you know it can be something as simple as perspective Mm -hmm. that can change things for you like I knew going into my pregnancy with Ted that I was a shitty pregnant person. I was like, right, I'm going to enjoy it more this time. Like I'm going to manage things better. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then I got pregnant. And I was like, nah, still just a shit. <laughs> I hated being pregnant. I didn't get that glow. I didn't enjoy it. I did like, there was no, there was no sex drive. There was nothing from me. I got yeah. no good bit. I'm like, no, no, no. I want to go yeah. and move away and be alone and not have any other kids or husband or like, just leave me alone, everyone. Yeah. Well, you don't get pregnant to be pregnant. You get pregnant to have a baby. It's just this annoying nine months of like, are you sure you want to do this? But, um, you know, whenever anyone asks me and like even my friends when they have babies now and, oh, you know, my baby's not sleeping and my baby's doing this, my baby's not doing that. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, but everything's normal. Yeah. Even when you feel like it's not. But everything seems like the worst thing in the world when you don't sleep. If you don't sleep, it's over. Yeah, I was... um. I was pregnant with Lola last March, I think it was maybe a little bit earlier. And Jesse had gone from sleeping reasonably okay, co-sleeping with us to waking 20 to 30 times a night. So like more than once an hour. And I was at a point of sleep deprivation. I wasn't having suicidal thoughts, but I was having thoughts of I'm not cut out to be a mum. This gig isn't for me. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. How can I yeah. get out of this? I'm unhappy. Yeah. And I think that when you're in that season, you can't see through it. You can't, you need help. So you need to oh, speak yeah. out and speak up and, and communicate with your loved ones and, and the people around you because 
there's no light at the end of the tunnel when you've got sleep deprivation like that. Or if you're like, you know, Brit or Nadine, when you're vomiting constantly, you, you need that support and that social aspect as well, that human connection to get you through every single day. I can't imagine what they've been through with HG. Oh, I know. I like every day I was like, oh my God, like I, I don't think, you think to yourself, I don't think I could do that. The problem is, is that you have to, like you feel like you can't and no matter what it is, you know, sickness during pregnancy, sleep deprivation, whatever it is. I got woken up the other night by a moth and I swear to God, I have never felt so discombobulated and so pissed off, <laughs> so infuriated because I got woken up once during the night and I was like, how did I do this? Like if I don't get seven to eight hours solid sleep now, I'm like, Oh my god! I don't know the last time I had seven to eight hours sleep. Like I don't, but it is like what the fuck? <laughs> that's it because you know now I've been through that season, right? And my kids are five and eight. Teddy just started school, and now I'm that annoying asshole going, "It gets fast so fast. Like cherish every moment." You know, <sighs> me five years ago wants to punch me now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, look, I am. And I want to shake five years ago, me. Yeah, it's so, but it is. It's fucking hard to enjoy something when your kids are driving you insane. They're not sleeping. You're not sleeping. You can't do anything, any of the things you want to do. Um, and you just bug it all the time. You've got no time for your husband because you're tired and you just want to go to bed. You've got yeah. no time for friends. You've got no time, like, to do anything decent in your life. Yeah. And, you know, you, your life then revolves around the baby's bedtime. So, like, we've, I was out, um, asked out for dinner next week and I've had to say no because I have to put the babies down at seven o'clock so like like what kind of a life is that I know but you know that the alternative if you fuck with that is that your life will be ruined for an entire week right you know you say that like I was talking to Jed the other day um and I was like we literally went months I you know I reckon there would have been a good solid six or longer months where we just didn't have sex because you're in the depth of it, right? And, and, then when you, and then when you do, like, it's funny because, you know, we've been together for 16 years, very fucking long time. Yeah. And it was probably like, I think it was seven years in that, that we had kids and stuff like that. And I was, oh, what was it? No. And we got married after seven and then, yeah. Well, it's been a long time. Anyway, <laughs> when you've lost count, you know it's been a long time. Yeah. We were young when we met, so we, you know, had a very healthy sex life. And then you have kids, and it's like, and you're like, and everything changes because your relationship just goes to the very back of the line, right? Yeah, right. And I can see why so many relationships and and so many, you know, marriages and stuff like it is fucking hard. So that five years, you know, that that period of time there, depending on how many kids you have, like, because you do like you you've got to get through it as, as teammates but there's so much of your relationship and your your connection that just gets fucking kicked to the curb it's like when you become teammates because that's what's needed in that season you almost automatically become flatmates yeah because you're just you're just friends well like yeah. there's love there obviously I love my husband to death um we're not getting <laughs> but, <laughs> depending on the day no I do and you know, he, I have a very attentive, beautiful man that, you know, is a fit, an amazing dad, doesn't ever let me down. Anything I ask, he, he does. 
but just this season where you're at each other and you're resentful, like, you know, being at home with babies and then your husband comes home, you just be like, well, fuck you. You got to ride in the car by yourself. You got yeah. to adults today. Sit here and talk to me. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's something now that, now that we're coming to the end of that season, you know, especially, like I said, kids are in school. Um, getting together young meant that for a lot of those years that we were having babies and, you know, building, you know, renovating a house, he was building a business. And so, you know, we're very fortunate that now we've made it through that season and we are now reaping the benefits because, you know, we've got more time together. We've got more time to spend together. You know, our kids are more independent um, and, and it's amazing, right? But I feel like it's only that amazing because of how fucking hard it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't have one without the other. And it's 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 wonderful to have that perspective now. And that is one thing that I would really love for people that are in the depths of it to hear and to know. Cause I just remember how fucking shit it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it does, it does end. And and when it does, you just start a whole new season of mum guilt of like, I didn't spend enough time. I wish too much away. Like you can never fucking win when you're a mum. No, basically not. So for you guys, what what are you what are you doing at the moment that you know is just for your relationship? Do you have date nights? Do you have any specific times together? Like, do you watch a TV series? Anything? Any tips that you could, would tell a mum to hey, give this a crack just if you're having some troubles? You know, I um, a couple of years ago listened to a really great podcast by Jay Shetty. Um, I don't know if you listen to his yeah. stuff. Yep. He's amazing. I'm obsessed with him. I met him once. I totally fanned girl and passed out. Um, and it was about having. Um, mutual hobbies, but solo pursuits. And it was all around this idea that um, it's really great to come together and do fun things together, learn something new together, you know, like you say, go on a date night, maybe, you know, go and, you know, learn, you know, learn golf or, or whatever it might be, but to have your solo pursuit. So, you know, it's fine to be with someone, even if you don't have similar interests, right? You know, um, he does his thing with his work. I do my thing with mine. And we're incredibly supportive of each other to pursue those things that we want to do individually. Because I think sometimes people get really caught up in, oh, well, we got to do the same thing, got to have the same hobbies and, and all this kind of stuff. But also you've got to have balance that you're both able to do that. It can't be weighted one way or the other, yeah. especially in that season where, you know, you as a parent and a mum are probably doing a lot more with kids. Um, so we always, we don't have set times or we don't say, okay, we've got to do it every episode, but we do, we try and we ask for help, you know, so that we can go and have date nights or we can go and do something together. We actually have our first holiday, just the two of us since we've had kids next week. So we've got seven days in the week Sundays, which is very exciting. Oh, we're just booking a trip there with us. <laughs> well, I wouldn't get too excited because I signed us up to do this thing called Active Escape, so we have to work out three times a day. Ooh, yeah, I would love that. Steve won't do those. I've begged yeah. him to come with me. He's like, no, I'm not. I'm going on holidays. I'm drinking beer. That's but you it. should do that if that's not something that interests him, but it interests you. You should do that because it's like, I love you that. know, we we're both very fortunate that we ha- we have a, a you know passion for. Um, you know, health and fitness, him more than me. Like I go to the gym and I love it, but I resent it when I'm going and then I love it after I've gone. He just loves it all the time. Yeah, I'm him. I love it all the time. Yeah, exactly. I just know like, you know, I'll feel good after I do it or while yeah. I'm doing it. And that's what yeah. 
that's what gets me there. Um, but of course, you know, through what I do and what he and I do are very, very different things. Like he doesn't really even use social media, but I get really amazing opportunities to go overseas. Like I went to Disney World and, you know, obviously I was gone for eight days and, you know, he just worked everything out at home. Like you have that, um, you know, ability to help each other work towards your, your individual yeah you know goals and stuff like that um but you know especially when you're in the thick of it it I think can be really hard and I remember in the early years doing this like keeping a scorecard (laughs) of like who's doing what and stuff and like because you you get so resentful when you're in the depths of it when you're sleep deprived and they go to work and then they come home and they're tired and you're tired and everybody's tired um I think it's just about having good open communication and you know being able to work with each other rather than against each other um and also you know not putting too much pressure on yourself you know and sometimes asking for external help if if it's there or you know seeking external help and and stuff like that and only you know just you don't have to do you know you can do everything you just can't do it all at the same time I say yeah, I really, really like that. I think for us, the biggest thing is what you just said about communication. We got to a point a little while ago and I just, I, I felt like I had to get give my husband a better understanding of where I was coming from. Instead of just saying, well, I've had the kids all day, say, well, once a child wakes up, that's when my shift starts. When they're all asleep, that's when it ends and I get a minute. I don't get the minute to go to the toilet on my own. I don't get the minute to wash my hair during the day. You know, there's all these little things that, as human beings we do that's like normal and blokes get to do it because it's just normal they just go I'm going to have a shower okay bye if I have a shower mom 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 like it's you don't get to do that and just explaining that and be but coming from a kind and compassionate perspective and not being aggressive and mean about it just saying so you know when you do get home if you could spend an hour giving me a hand yeah and go and have a shower the kids will be asleep and we can spend some time together because yeah. that's when you start resenting each other, when you're feeling that full disconnection, I suppose, and that, and you get the disconnect because you're not spending any time together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, all this shit that we, you know, learnt when we were younger because it's, you know, different generations now and, um, you know, there used to be these clear defined gender roles and now it's about unlearning all that bullshit and, and relearning you know, because it's not about, you know, the, you know, who does paid work and, and stuff like that. It's the, the recognition of, you know, the life and its workload as a whole. Yeah. Um, because, you know, just between you and me, fucking going to work for eight hours is a holiday, mate. Wait, I can't wait. Today's daycare day and Lola's second day of daycare. So I have been, this is the first, second time I've been kid free, like what, in two years? obsessed with it this is heaven and we get to chat Woo! that's it that's it hey thanks for having me on your uh few hours of child free time i love it no i'm stoked to have you on i've been looking forward to this for weeks i won't lie (laughs) um i've got a question surrounding instagram influencing because it is a big bad world on the gram and i know that whilst it's got many advantages and benefits for you and your family it's come with some shit it's come with some online trolling and things like that yeah and can you talk to me about your presence online being impactful on your mental health and maybe some resources that you've had to lean into because I imagine that it's been quite triggering having such a big online presence at times 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, this is a question I get asked a lot about um, and definitely over the years, like I've, I've had my fair share of the negative, but it's like anything. And I think it was, I think it was Christian Hull. I think, he, I think it was something that he said to Annie Nolan once um, about how you can have 100 nice comments, but you get one bad one and it seems like that's it and you can't see beyond it and you can't, take those 100 nice comments and go, oh, I've only got one bad one. Like it, people say like, oh, you must have a thick skin. And I'm like, no, I don't. I've actually just taught myself to like not seek this stuff out or to res- like respond in a way that, um, you know, stops me from, from letting it sort of in and having an impact. doesn't always work. And, you know, sometimes you get caught off guard and it's, um, it's not a nice thing sometimes feeling like, oh, what am I opening my phone up to today? But that's only when bad things are happening. Do you know what I mean? Majority of the time, it's good. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't think you could really do anything for this length of time, but it was mostly bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that I get to work for myself and that I'm my own boss and that I, you know, I work around my kids and it's given me incredible opportunity. It's given my children incredible opportunity. I've been able to contribute financially, um, you know, to our household and I have been able to do things creatively for myself. So it's been, it's been an outlet. I'm able to, you know, connect with wonderful people. I talk about having access to these stories. You know, you get to share your story and you get access to all these other wonderful stories. And that in itself is such a wonderful tool for growth and learning. You know, um, I think it's really, really important to to recognise all of that and remind yourself of that. Um, And it's easy to do when things are good. But on the flip side, when things are bad and people troll you, um you know say mean things and look it's even gotten as bad as you know um people really coming for you like really having a dislike towards you um I have come to realize and this is from making a lot of mistakes um probably you know probably addressing things the wrong way but we don't get there unless we make mistakes mistakes are only lessons Um, that it's about working on me and how those things trigger me and, you know, why I feel those things when they happen. So I, you know, part of my toolkit, a part of my, my job and my work is that I, I see someone for my mental health. You know, I talk to a therapist, I talk to a relationship coach. Um, that's both, you know, to do with my own relationships, you know, with my husband and my friends, but also with myself. Um, I see, um, someone, um, spiritually, you know, I do, um, tapping, sound healing, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't meditate. I wish I say I could say that I do, um, but I do try to take time out for myself. So I exercise. Um, you know, uh, I'm pretty good at knowing how to manage my own anxiety and mental health. Um, and yeah, by doing all of those things and working on my own toolkit and working on my own um, my own perspective and the way that I see things is how I tackle that negativity online because it's only negative and it's only impacting me because of how I respond. Mm. So it's not always foolproof. Sometimes something will happen or someone will say something to you and they'll get you on the wrong day and you just want to punch someone in the face. Um, And like I have a very natural protective instinct over, over anyone that I care for. So even when I see a negative comment on an account, I don't even know the girl and I see a negative comment, I instinctively want to be like, why did you write that? Like you don't need to do that. And 
and it's offensive and I think there's a difference between like not letting it in and then someone saying negative something negative about you or your body or your family and you're just like for fuck's sake what Mm -hmm. like I I honestly think that you just have to have this protective shield around you to be able to handle it because words hurt people can say but they do they really do hurt and they can stick with you that one person yeah. Um, and I think it's really, it's really cool that you're able to draw on that, that toolkit and just always have that in the back of your mind frame to be like, okay, this is making me feel this way for a reason. So you're utilizing that. And I just, I love that because a lot of people can't do that. And I personally definitely don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you can go down the avenue of getting into it with people. Mm. Um, one thing I've, you know, definitely learned, and it's something that I used to do quite a bit is like being completely overwhelmed, um, and feeling like you have to defend yourself, that you have to explain yourself. Um, because ultimately at the end of the day, when these things occur, when these trolls or people online or whatever it might be, you're never going to change their mind. Like you're never going to, um, get the response that you that that you want. Like no one's coming to you because they want to have an open discussion and they're um, they're open to having their mind changed. Like they've made up their mind. Like they came to be mean. They came to troll. And you know there are deep dark places on the internet that you can go and seek this stuff out. But it's never going to end well. Like if an article of mine gets reshared online, so outside of my safe space, outside of my own blog and Instagram. I just don't go look at it because I know what's going to fucking be there. Yeah. Like, and if you can recognize that and just not, you know, because the thing is, is that it only affects you and it only triggers you if you know about it and you see it, right? Yeah, don't um, expose yourself to it. Yeah, exactly. And like, look, there's, I've definitely had experiences online where, People just do not like you. Like you trigger something in them. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know much about like personality types and um, uh, like your human design and all yeah, that. Stuff. I was about to say that I, it's new, but I'm learning. <laughs> yes, yeah, it was so intriguing and so interesting. That's part of the stuff I do with like my spiritual coach is because I'm a two four, so I'm like a manifesting generator or something like. No, in, I can't remember what it is. Anyway whatever the one that I am means that I have this really piercing energy. So like my energy, will like literally shoot people, like literally hit them in the face and they either really like me or they fucking hate me. And it's something that my energy doesn't mesh with theirs and they feel like they're being, you know, it triggers something in them. And now that I understand that, and now I know so much more about that profile, I can literally see it happening and like I can apply it to so many different different things um but again you know it all comes back to self-awareness and it all comes back to working on yourself and I wish I knew this seven years ago you know this is something new for me that I've only been learning in the last couple of years because I did used to go back at trolls I did used to get really upset by it I did feel like I had to prove myself I did feel like I had to be everybody's friend I did feel like you know I had to be liked and all this kind of stuff but without all of that happening I wouldn't have realized the work I needed to do so I love that. Well, it's, it's what you can have that perspective now. I think yeah, I, I just can't imagine. I find it really hard to let things go. Um, <laughs> it's like my biggest toxic trait. Yeah, it's, it, and it's, I've been doing a lot of work surrounding the inner ego and your ego and I'm trying so hard to continue expanding and, and learning and teaching myself all new things because um, I won't go into details, but we recently, not recently, we went through like a two-year thing um, in family court and I had someone that what it was like 
every week there was a fucking trigger for me. Every, it was a new trigger and I my mind was consumed by the toxicity and I guess the narcissistic traits that I was getting, I was exposed to all the time and I felt like I constantly had to prove myself, fight, fight or flight mode. Like, I, yeah, I was a mess of a human being and it triggered my anxiety a lot. But now reflecting, I'm like, well, that triggered me and my ego. And it was me that had the pro- that had to prove myself. Why? Why did I need that? And that's when, you know, you go back to your inner child and all that other deep. Oh, yes. <laughs> inner child. <laughs> inner child. Um, but, yeah, like it's interesting because, again, it's, it's stuff that you're unpacking constantly. And even with online trolling, you're unpacking your own ego and reflecting and saying, well, how does this affect me? Why does this affect me? And if you continue to get curious with that and ask why, then you don't, by the end, I imagine you don't feel like responding. Well, that's it. And look, you talk about, you know, this inner ego and stuff. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, you know, and I don't want to um, be blind to, you know, my own, um, you know, my own traits and stuff like that. We all have to have a tiny bit of narcissist dinners to be on here as social media influencers showing up every day, like, look at me. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, there's definitely quite a lot. In, and this is the thing online is that you are managing quite a lot of egos and, um, you know, personalities and stuff like that. Um, and what I try and remind myself of is like, yeah, but what is the importance of this? Like, what is the importance of this person's opinion or what these people are doing and saying? Because, Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not normal to have access to billions of people around the world. And it's not normal for billions of people to have access to you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've, you know, been working on over the years is like um, managing other people's expectations versus what is actually reasonable and realistic, right? Because people will DM you or people want access to you and they think they have a right to that. They think you owe them something because you're here and they have access to you. But you know, it comes down to, you know, boundaries and and what your own personal boundaries are around like, okay, I give you access to my life and I share this stuff with you, um, you know, day in, day out, but that's my choice. This is my space and this is my platform. Um, I get people, you know, message me and they're like, why haven't you replied? And it's like, well, because I'm not accessible to you 24 seven, like this is a job and this is a business and I have designated times where I do certain things, you know, sit down, reply to my DMs. And I do, I try to reply to everybody, but I can't always. And I struggle enough as it is. And I'm like a less than 0.5% of what the audience that you've got. Like, I don't know how you do it as a mum. It's freaking hard to respond all the time. And people constantly want that, that answer straight away. Like they've got to, you've put something up and it's a product or it's what you're doing, going somewhere like, where is this? How do I get, you know, how do I find it? How much was it? I got this cutter yeah. removed and I had like six people DM me saying, where'd you get it done? Does it hurt? As it was getting done. And I was like, I shouldn't have put that off. No. And that's it. You know, um, also got to be mindful of, okay, what I'm putting up. Am I, you know, uh, am I also going to accept like that, you know, the work that this is going to, you know, then create for me and stuff like that. And I try and answer everyone's like, the questions I don't reply to are when someone's like, where'd you get your dress? But it's fucking tagged in the post or it's tagged in the story. It's like, do the work yourself. I know. When it's obviously something personal um, and someone's coming to me, you know, to talk about, you know, part of my story I've shared because it resonates in them or they're experiencing the same thing. Absolutely. Those yeah. ones are the top story. of my list. Yeah. yeah. Even when I'm triaging my messages, I make sure if I can't get to it there and then, because I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't 
give like you shouldn't try and do something unless you can give that person 100% of your time at the time um there's nothing worse than like when you're having a conversation with someone on the phone but they're not they're not actually there you know what I mean so a lot of the time like my phone rings and I'm like I'll call you when I can give you my time or I'll work out a time that's good for both of us because um and I won't answer you know a call if I know that I'm not able to give them be present yeah be present because you know people people deserve that you know um that are in your inner circle and stuff like that so that's another big thing that I feel like people need to manage online is um your real life and your online life are two completely separate things and it needs a completely different set of boundaries and rules even if other people don't get them (laughs) no I completely resonate with that it's definitely definitely something that I need to implement into my I guess this new world that I'm trying to grow and expand with and, and dive into a little bit on Instagram, because that's obviously how I'm going to spread the word with the podcast. There's no really other way um, you can promote your podcast other than Facebook and Instagram. So, you know, growing a little community and growing an audience is going to be the best way for me. And I guess I do have to set those boundaries now so that later I, I'm not feeling overwhelmed and anxious because sometimes if I'm like when I was up breastfeeding Lola and I just started the podcast and I was trying to grow it and I was trying to get some traction and get people to hear these stories because I truly just want them to get out there and just support other women. Yeah. And I'm middle of the night breastfeeding and someone will have written back an hour ago, but then my message would say seen. I would feel so pressured that I had to write back to them because they, yeah. they, they went into it and they saw that it was seen. I was like, I can't do that to a person. They've taken the time to message me. I need to do that. But now I'm just like, I'll write back when I can. My time is so precious. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, if if anyone thinks that that's unreasonable, well, well, that's, you know, that's on themselves and that's probably a reflection of a trigger for them, you know, of this, you know, um, you know, feeling connected and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you burn yourself out if you don't. I know because I've done it. <laughs> I only know these things and have these boundaries in place now because I've been there. And, you know, it's that whole thing you can't give, you know, from it, you can't pour from an empty cup. You know, if you're not looking after yourself, well, then you can't look after other people. You know, um, how are you going to give people advice and hope and, um, and share your story if you're not, you know, doing the work yourself or you're not, um, you know, working on yourself? And, um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to serve other people and it's such a rewarding thing. But also at the same time, it can't be to the, the detriment of yourself. Yeah. Um, and you know, that's, that's one of the things about, you know, being online is that you'll attract all types. And, um, especially when you are sharing really raw and honest, vulnerable stories, but you're also showing the journey and the pain and the unpeeling of the layers, but then also the coming out the other side, you know, you become this pillar of hope for people or you, yeah, become this, um this storyteller you know to give people you know insight and and hope and stuff like that but of course there's going to be people in different stages of the journey and they are you know they're going to see you as like this life raft sometimes and their expectations are really hard to manage um and it's it's nice that people put that trust in you Mm. it's also you know very burdensome sometimes and you've got to work out how to manage that um without damaging yourself too much wow yes no <laughs> well Sorry. i do not need to see my psychologist this week i've had this chat all these from someone i'm like you know sometimes i'm like oh, i've got my shit together today and then other times i'm like 
the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> you don't know what I'm doing with my life. Everyone's like, oh my God, you're doing so well. I'm like, yeah, but at what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Doing well, with my you. life. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your time and the laughs and the advice and everything in between today. It has been an absolute bloody pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's so lovely to chat with you and, um, yeah, can't wait for it to come out. I know, me too. I feel like a lot of women are going to resonate with both of us and particularly you, and I can't wait to spread this message of everything we've talked about. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.